I don't think of all the misery, but of all the beauty that remains. That is a quote by Anne Frank. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. This is episode 166. Before we get started with the episode, I'm delighted to announce that I'll be speaking at Women in Tech Texas Conference on May 19th through 20th, 2022. This event offers an immersive educational experience for like-minded women to access proven strategies and tools to support them in their mission to achieve their career goals. Registration is now open. Book your pass today and secure a 15% discount with my discount code, W-I-T-T Speaker 15. Again, that code is W-I-T-T Speaker 15. And to register, go to the website, www dot women dash I N dash T E C H dash Texas dot com. This is episode 166. The topic of this week's episode is grief is empowerment. My guest this week is Marie Alessi. Marie lost her husband and father to their two boys in June 2018. When her book, Loving Life After Loss, hit the top 100 list in Australia on publishing day, she realized she had something that the world needed. Only months later, Marie founded a global movement with the same title, as this is what her life is all about, Loving Life After Loss. Hi, Marie. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being on the show, especially coming from Australia. I have a lot (laughs) of friends there, so um, I have a pretty good network there. So I really love you guys. You guys really give me a lot of love and support me on this show. That's beautiful. (laughs) Um, How I like to start off the show is I always ask all my guests to tell the listeners who you are and how you became the Marie that you are today. Wow, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I am Marie Alessi. I am the founder of a global movement called Loving Love After Loss. And how did I become that person? My background is actually way back in advertising. And then I worked my way into the world of self-development. I literally stumbled across that, um, loved what these people did. I actually just came along for the ride because they wanted me for a completely different job. And I saw that speaker on stage talking about self-development, you know, um, a little bit like Tony Robbins style, just not as famous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just loved what he did. And I said, I don't want that job that you offered me. I actually want to do that. I loved how he transformed, 
transform people just from stage and like really deep transformations like within 10, 15 minutes. And I thought, this is incredible. I want to learn this. So I started my training as a coach, started my own business, um, added more and more training along the way. And then about seven, eight years into it, my husband flew on a business trip and never came back. And that was the starting point of something really huge for all of us. Um, and uh, within a very short amount of time, I shared our story because I thought it was quite inspiring for a lot of people. And people were quite blown away by the way I handled grief. And I realized quite quickly that I handled grief very differently to what most people showcase or learned from society. And I wanted to show the world that there are other ways of grieving than what society really suggests us because it's quite poorly in my eyes. And that story ranked in the top 100 in Australia. It was completely unexpected. It became an Amazon bestseller. It was just, it blew me away. And we were like with one foot on the plane already at that stage. And I took my boys traveling around the world for two months. And when I was in Vienna in Austria, in my hometown, I knew that this was so much bigger than me and I had to, I felt like I had something that the world needed. And when I came back home here to Australia, I started a global movement with the same title like the book, Love and Love After Loss. So that's the nutshell story. I'm sure we go into a lot more detail. Oh my goodness. Yes. I just, I, um, man, it's so, such a touching story. Um, that you, and it's funny because you're saying people deal with grief in, in different ways, which is true. And yeah. not everyone deals with it the way that society thinks they should, you know, everybody has a perception of, oh, well, it takes yeah. this long to grieve or yeah. whatever. Um, but tell us about your journey with your experience with grief and why you felt mm. that this needed to be a movement. Yeah. So my journey into grief was uh, obviously, as I as I explained, very, very sudden because Rob was in the prime of his life. He was super healthy. He was fit. He was a surfer. He loved life. And um, he had a brain aneurysm. He just collapsed in a shower and died, basically. There was just no pre-warning. It, it was um, – Rob and I were very connected. We were absolutely – you know, we were that couple that everybody – it's like, oh, my God, you two, you know, you just – incredibly in love and I loved having that uh, sort of stigma around us which was really beautiful we owned that and we rocked it and because of that connection that we had I felt when something happened I felt it so deeply and interesting enough I really shied away sharing that first and meanwhile I'm absolutely okay to share this openly but I actually had a vision of Rob collapsing in the shower and I didn't want to buy into it I felt it was so terrible I, I thought Marie stop it what are you doing to yourself you know I literally didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to see it. And it was just a, a split second, you know. It was not like something major. It was just a split second. So I called the hotel and I said, can you please send somebody up to my husband's room and please check in a shower? And that's where they found him. So um, I just, when I got the phone call, it was a whole day of waiting and calling and trying to get in touch with him. And they, you know, through the whole procedure and they were not allowed to tell me over the phone. They were trying to call police and send him to our house. But um, eventually, because I didn't stop calling, the sergeant in charge luckily made a very wise decision to tell me over the phone. I was so grateful in hindsight because he kept apologising that he 
you know, I was not supposed to do that, but because he saw me calling, he wanted to put me out of my misery. And I said, I couldn't be more grateful because I cannot imagine what my boys would have been like. They were only 10 and 8 at the time. If police would have rocked up with those news at our house, I, I could have not handled that. So I was really grateful that through those circumstances that we don't have a main police station in our small town. I was the one who was allowed to tell the boys and not some strangers in uniform. I think that would have been a, an experience they would have not been able to forget that easily. Obviously, you know, it still mm. was an experience they would never forget, but it was in a way more protected and nurturing way than it could have come through police. So that was that. And uh, the thing was, Rob and I had um, a couple of talks, as you do sometimes between couples, you know, when your parents, uh, what if and what would happen if something was to happen to him or I. And we always said to each other, I just wanted you to have the happiest life ever. Don't you dare stay stuck in grief. Don't you dare, uh, you know, not get yourself out there anymore. You're way too beautiful to stay alone for the rest of your life. We would say it to each other, you know, and it was in a sort of choking and theory kind of way. But we truly meant it because when you really, truly love someone, you just want them to be happy. And when that happened, when I got the news, I had my sole focus on the boys. I just knew I had to create the happiest life possible for them. And um, one thing that really broke me, I'll, I'll never forget that, and it was echoing in my head and still is sometimes, was my little one when I told him and he stood there sobbing in front of me and he, he said, I'm only eight and I'm not going to have a daddy anymore. And that was so heartbreaking. And I thought, and my older one, he was 10, he said, so who's going to look after us now, mom? And I said, I will. And I remember it because he came straight from my heart and it was like a promise that I knew I'd never break. You know, you naturally, you naturally do that anyway as a parent, but I just knew that was a huge and doubled up responsibility instantly and I would never take that lightheartedly. So, um, sorry, I thought I had switched off that notification. But, um, yeah, so that was an instant reality for us where I knew um, I'm going to do this, exactly what I promised to Rob. I'm going to create the happiest life possible. And um, and I could see better reactions, you know, when I walked through town and when I when I had happy moments, when they started coming back and I, I really I did everything I could to allow them back in. And I think that's a huge keyword. It has become a huge keyword for my whole movement, the allowing. We are so trained by society that when somebody passes, you have to fall apart and wear black for a year. And then, you know, yep. after six months, you're like, uh, you know, you sort of expected to sort of move on. But if after a year you're not over, it's like, you know, you have to get this. There's all these have-tos and expectations. And I thought, um, I cannot allow that in. I need to trust my heart, trust my guidance. And that was really strong. So for me, it was really... I just felt Rob was with me all the way. He was just guiding me. He was just telling me what the next step was and it just opened up in front of us all the time. And about four months into it, there's actually a little pre-story. I want to share this quite quickly. Um, it was about three weeks after Rob passed and I was in the kitchen and the boys were upstairs brushing their teeth. And um, I know they started sort of bickering and having a go at each other and um, and it was just very slight at the beginning and then I said, oh, come on, you know, like I said, you're some mom, you like mm -hmm. try to get them back together and stop fighting and then all of a sudden I remember this key sentence. I said, I just need peace and quiet and I said it very loud and very firm 
and they kept going. And all of a sudden I started saying it louder and louder. And before I knew it, I was screaming this sentence and I had a massive mm. nervous breakdown in the kitchen. Mm. I just fell apart screaming that sentence over and over again till I just pitched, like I had this high-pitched scream. It was like a primal scream falling apart, sort of whacking kitchen cupboards, and then all of a sudden everything was silent. And in this silent where I sat, I was like, Wow. It was like I was watching myself from the outside and I could not right. stop myself from that happening. And I had a really uh, calming, very raw chat about that with the boys. I sat with them in my bed. My little one was hiding under the blanket. That really broke my heart seeing yeah. him like that. He said, were you scared? And he said, yes. And I said, so was I. And I explained to them what just happened and how sorry I was. And I said, I think I need help too, you know, because they yeah. were seeing the school counsellor. I, till that day, thought I had it all together, but I didn't. So I saw a counsellor for about four months and she was incredible. And in those counselling sessions was the seed planted for the book that I shared, you know. I I said to her, I can't believe all these expectations from people, how to handle grief, how to do it. It's just so much pressure, so much expectation. And she looked at me so calmly and said, so what does grief mean to you, Marie? And I was like... I could not believe the one word that came up was empowerment and that was really unexpected. And I looked at her and I said, I think I need to write a book about this. And that was like, you know, at, at the towards the end of our four-month counselling when that all came out and I felt I had shifted and learned so much through her guidance in those four months and because of my background, the whole coaching and self-development, everything just came in straight, you know, I, I soaked it all up like a sponge and I just... I just loved it. Yeah, that was the starting point of it all, I believe. Wow. You know, such a such a touching story. And and I was listening to you when you said you had the dream that your husband was in the shower and, and fell and, and passed away. Yeah. It um, was like a vision, yeah. Yeah, the like vision. When I was trying to call him and it came like a flick second, yeah. You know, and it's... Um, it's interesting because I have visions like that as well at certain mm. certain times. Um, and it's actually kind of scary. And I, I don't think I've ever really told anyone that. But um, it's just amazing how how you can have that, you know, at those certain yeah. moments for, for things like that. But as you were going through your grief and like you said, you would walk through town and you would you would allow and I love this. You will allow those happy moments to come into your life and let you yeah. smile and feel joy. And you said people, how the people kind of looked at you like, oh, my God, you know, she's smiling. She's happy. Yeah. Um, she's not grieving her husband. You know, look at her. She's way too happy. Right. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. As well. Yeah. You weren't yeah. walking through town with black on and your head, hang, you know, hanging low and people were looking at you. And I'm just wondering, because you essentially had that breakdown because I don't think you properly grieved whatever that would be for you because I think you yeah. us as mothers we want to be strong for the kids that's our first priority is to say yeah oh, I, I need to I do this for the functioning kids mode, you know, yes the first three words I was just in functioning mode I just did and did and did whatever had to be done right there was no thinking there was no feeling it was yes. just doing and protecting and yeah yeah, it's almost like you're on autopilot because you, yeah, you, exactly. you know there's people who depend on you. So your feelings yeah. is the least of what you're thinking about. So when you went through that moment and you went to your your counselor and then you're going, 
I think I need to help people. I mean, yeah. how how could you think and see through all that you were going through in that moment to take your pain and say, you know what, I'm going to take this and I'm going to turn this into something to help someone else? Yeah, wow. Well. Thank you so much for for that outside perspective because, you know, I in that moment didn't even think of that in such a way. I didn't even think of it as in I have to help people. I just felt like I have to share our story. This is so unique. This is so different. And at that moment, it was more about the love legacy that I wanted to leave for Rob, you know, the love that we had for each other, sharing the story, how we fell in love. And I said, I never, I never stopped falling in love with Rob all those 13 and a half years that we had together. And... Um, so the beginning of it all was actually just to share a story and to give people hope, not even so much about the actual act of helping, but it was more like giving people hope and showing them that there is a different way of dealing with such news. And um, so when I shared that and a, a little side note to that, Rob and I had actually planned to take the whole of 2019 off and travel around the world with the boys and homeschool them for a whole year and have an endless summer. I still have the itinerary of all these pictures where we wanted to go um, up on our cupboard. You know, I never took that off. And when he passed, I just knew there's no way I would travel to South America. That's where we wanted to start our journey with the boys by myself. Two boys, you know, two young boys, me as the woman traveling through South America. So there's no way I would not feel safe enough without him. And I also didn't feel strong enough to homeschool two boys on my own and travel and deal with the grief. I thought I can't do that. But I felt like I need to do something. So I shortened the trip to two months around the world. And, um, you know, my older son wanted to fly to Paris and eat escargot. So we did that. <laughs> it was disgusting. But <laughs> 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 we did it. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. So when wonderful. I was in Vienna, yeah, because on our trip, of course, I had to go um, where I come from and visit my friends and family, spend some time with them. I spent Christmas with my mom and the boys, obviously. And when I was sitting there, that's when it hit me. That's when I realised it was like this realisation. Oh, my God, this is so big. I can't believe my book became a bestseller. I can't believe my book hit the top 100 in Australia. And all of a sudden I I realised the, the vastness of that and mm-hmm. the possibilities. And that was the moment when I realised I need to do something with that. I want to start a movement. And in hindsight, I had shared that in another interview and somebody said, so your movement was born in the same town like you. And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. I never thought about that. It's so beautiful, you know. So, yeah, that's where it started. I contacted a mentor that I had been following for a while and he was all about building groups and building movements. And I came back at the end of January. We started working together in February and in March I started the movement. I opened the doors to something that became very big and very global quite quickly. It was incredible. I always, I would say, you know, that moment for me was like jumping off a cliff and growing my wings on the way, on the way down. It was just wow. absolutely incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's great. You know, and I, I love Vienna. Um, and it's funny because my daughter, her name is Vienna. I named her Vienna after. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So I, I love it. But, after Vienna um, in Austria? Yes. Yes. But there's one in the US as well. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, but beautiful. no, the Austria one. <laughs> I love mm. it. Um, so tell us exactly what is your movement? What is, what is it? What is what do you do? How do you help people? Yeah. Give us the details. 
Oh, I'd love to. So in a nutshell, uh, what we do in this movement is we hold space for people. We shower them with love. We teach them how to allow love and happiness back in. And speaking about allowing, I do not allow people to wallow in their grief and just be in the group to share sad stories because there are so many grief groups out there that call themselves grief support groups yet don't offer any support in those groups. It is all about staying stuck in the grief, all about... And unfortunately, I have to say this, there's often this competition whose grief is fresher, whose kids were younger, who have lost more people. And whenever somebody posts a story, everybody offloads their stories in the comments below. And I'm like, wow, how's how's this helping that person? It was like when I was walking around town at the beginning, I had so many people stopping me and telling me about their grief. Mm -hmm. And I always blocked them because I thought, how on earth is this going to help me? I just lost my husband and now you're telling me about another grief story. I understand why people do that. They want to give you the feeling, I got you, I understand you, I know what you're going through, but they don't. That's the fact, they don't. Their story is different to mine, and often there were stories about other people, not about their own, you know. You feel the difference when people Mm. share it with you, to share with you, to be with you, to hold you, or when they share with you to try to make you understand they get it and they don't. You Mm. feel the difference energetically, so trust that. That's my one thing I want to share here. Trust that. You will feel when it feels supportive or when it doesn't. And stand up for blocking those people out. It's okay to do that. It's very self-protective. So... Back to the movement, I make a very big point about people can share where they're at, but for me, it's like, tell me the station where I pick you up from so I can take you to happy land, basically, you know. I take it as a, I need to understand where people come from so I can, so I know where to pick them up from. But my mission is always to help them. Mm. My mission is always to teach them how to have different perspectives about their loved ones passing looking at themselves through their eyes and thinking, what would you want for them? For those who are staying behind on earth, would you want them to stay stuck in grief and suffer forever? Too many people make the mistake that they share, that they have that comparison. The more you grieve, the more you love them. And for me, that couldn't be further from the truth. And so many people say, grief is just a sign of love. It's not. Mm. You know, it is not. It, it, for me, there is no comparison with that because... Um, The love that I have for Rob is incredible. I have no words for that. And the grief that I did was a journey to happiness, a processing, a getting the boys with me, helping them to process, holding space for them. That's what we do in the movement. So in the movement, we have a lot of free support available. I always make this point because so many people uh, talk about this, how can you do this for a living? Is this a movement? How do you help people? We have all levels of support in this group and it's really important to me because everybody comes from a different financial background so there are free healing journeys in there there is a lot of free tools resources that people can have i do talk every week i have people come into my group and interview them that have got a positive spill on grief i call this my upspiral grief series so people come in and share positive stories how they got through it and then also, of course, I run programs for people and I run retreats for people where they can come and really have me uh, personally help them through um, with a lot of tools and tips and tricks and shifting in perspective is a very huge one in the whole thing. That sounds so amazing. And I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking you're right because no one... Yeah. How do we know how to grieve, you know, and and we're just going by what we see in the movies or what people think or expect Mm. you to be and expect you to do. 
Um, and you're yeah. so right. Everybody processes things in different ways. And people think, oh, well, if, if I grieved for a year, that means I really love the person. But it's quite the opposite. Oh. And like you were saying, your husband and you had already discussed how you guys wanted to live on with something had happened to one or the other and you loved him, you know, and you know, you knew that he would not want you walking around in grief or being sad for forever. And especially I wouldn't want that for him. I think that's the point, you know, if you really love someone, why would you want them to be sad? It's not that you flick the switch and you're happy the next day. I'm not saying that. It's a process. It is something that takes time, but it also takes a decision. Yes. So people say, oh, time heals all wounds. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Time doesn't heal any wounds. It's your decision. It's your allowing it that starts that healing process. Yes. And that's just so amazing. And the story, like you said, when, People coming up to you and say, oh, here's my story. And I really think people do that innocently. I don't think they mean harm. And they're, I think because they don't know what to say, they don't know. So I think they feel, okay, well, if I say this, that'll let them know that I can relate, but that doesn't help anyone. And, you know, and, you know, I just think we as human beings are just, we don't know how to handle it. So isn't that like, yeah. I would come up to you and like tell you a joke after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, you want to be sensitive. You want to show you're caring, but yeah. you know, people don't but know the where right to go. people can do it in the right situation. Right. You know, that's the other thing. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. Actually a widow humor group. I could not believe what's going on in there. It is refreshing. Sometimes a little bit dark, but I think sometimes all are needed, you know? Yes. Yeah. It, it's hard to tell when, when to say and when to do what. It's really hard because even for me in my journey, although my decision was to create a happy life, um, there would be days where it was absolutely okay and other days where I thought, how dare you? You know, it's really hard to know from the outside. I want to say this with all due respect for everybody that was trying to help me and might not have done the thing that worked for me in that moment. You know, there was mm-hmm. no hard feeling. I knew they meant well and that was the most important thing. Yeah. And then, you know, with, with your, with your movement and what you're doing, the fact that you have people to help at every stage. So you're meeting people where they are and you're not telling them to relive this grief, but you're telling them how to come out on the other side. And I I have never heard that before. I have Mm -hmm. never heard that. I have never heard some place that just helps you. Cause like you said, there's grief counseling, but, and I've never been in it, but I imagine that it's just people sitting around, you know, sobbing saying, okay, this is how it happened. Mm. This is how I'm so sad, but Mm. I would not want that. I would want somebody that would say, okay, Trina, you're here. How can we bring you over to the other side? Exactly. Like those info boards, you are here. <laughs> you want to go here. Take those steps, turn right. Yeah, exactly. I have to say, though, in all these things, uh, for the grief counselors as well, there's a huge need for that too. I, mm-hmm. I think our movement is a perfect addition to it. Yet my shout out here is please find someone who gets you. And for me, it had to be a positive psychologist. It was a huge difference. And she was incredible. In supporting me through that I, I i did stop with her as well no questions asked mm-hmm. but it was always on the 
So how do we get through this? What do you need right now? Rather than keeping you stuck in there with all the cards. What, what's next, you know? And, and that is really important because I had so many people come to me and said, oh my God, in these 15, 20 minutes that I talked to you, I got more out of whatever you said to me than the last six months, four years of counseling. And that to me is shocking because I'm like, if you feel like that, then you are with the wrong counselor. Right. And there are right and wrong people out there in every profession. So don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame the grief counselors. I'm just saying if they don't help you find somebody else who can. Because I had one person, I'll never forget this, said to me, uh, yeah, my grief counselor said to me after a year, I I think it's time you move on. And I'm like, Mm. I was gobsmacked. How can you say that in those words? And maybe it was also received differently. I don't know, but it was just shocking. So, yeah, you you will find it. Trust your gut instinct. When you gel with a person, you will feel that he or she can help you. That's when you're in the right place. Wow. Mm. That is just that's great. And it's really great that you decided to do this because I think a lot of people, when things like that happen, they don't know where to turn, you know, who do you, who do you talk to? Absolutely. Who do you, where do you go? Um, yeah. And I think that's really a great thing. So when, when something happens in someone's life, how do they reach out to you? Cause I would imagine that not many people, you know, most people are not saying, okay, let me bookmark this website for my yeah. days of grief. So how do people yeah. know how to find you? Well, I have put a lot of work into my website, actually, because I felt, uh, you know, uh, for me, the movement is still relatively new, although I've been doing this for two and a half years now. But at the beginning, it was all, my whole focus was just on the helping and how do I grow this and how do I help more people. And then now, because we've grown uh, to such a large amount of numbers, we're way over 3,000 people at this stage. Um, I felt like, hold on, I need to go back to basics. I need to have one spot where they can find everything, my movement, my book, my how to contact me and the podcast, the, the interviews, everything is now on my website before I had like half of that on my website and half mm-hmm. of this here and there. And now it's all, um, I literally launched it yesterday on my birthday. It was so important to me to get this out on my birthday. Um, and by the time you listen to that show, I'll be three months older. But anyway, it was just... <laughs> It was just so beautiful for me. And the website is mariealessi.com. So it's just super simple. That's how you get in touch with me. That's how you find the movement and everything else that you need to know. I share a lot of details about how my programs work, how my retreat works, um, how the free healing journey works, and where to find them. The, the journey is free for everybody who's in the movement. I wanted to make this available. It's such a beautiful intro into the world of how to deal with grief. What do I actually do? Where do I actually start? How to get out of this pain? You know. And tell us what your book book title is again. All the loving love after loss. So I named a movement after the book because I felt it was already perfect. Why reinvent something that worked so well? It was for me a call to action, a name for a movement, you know, like uh, the way I wanted to feel and also a bit of a pre-selector for those people coming into the group because I thought those, there are people out there who don't want to move forward. They feel they can't, they don't want to, they choose not to, which is okay. Yes, they don't have a place in my movement. That's why I named Mm -hmm. it that because I thought people asking, requesting to join a movement with the name Loving Life After Loss, Mm -hmm. they want that somewhere deep within them, even if it's just a tiny part one start so that's a really good starting point wow now do you work with people internationally yes 
Okay. I do pretty much everything online these days, yeah. apart from the retreats. The retreat, unfortunately, is stuff for people that can come to Australia, which is quite restrictive at the moment through right. COVID. But um, yeah, I had one person who had already, like, she wanted to come in from Canada, which is so beautiful. And then she couldn't fly out because of all the restrictions happening. But hopefully, one day we'll be able to do that again as well. But everything else is online. Wow. We'll make sure we put those, put your website in the show notes. Um, I did take a glance <laughs> at your, you. your at your website, and I, I love it. It's very informative. So, um, thank you. Good work on that. Has the excitement for your business disappeared or been replaced by the tough financial reality in your life? Let us help you stay strong as a leader and set the course to putting your name in history by joining our free five day challenge. Make it rain, the legacy event. With invaluable knowledge accumulated by global leaders from around the world, we will help you break away from your self-limiting beliefs and get you closer to achieving financial abundance. Secure your spot today at thepivotmaestro.com forward slash M-I-R dash event Dash register. Um, are you ready for the questions? Absolutely. <laughs> we're we're going to get into those. Um, so here we go. Who or what motivates you? My kids. Absolutely. I think my kids are my biggest motivators. Okay. What demotivates you? Those... When I am in my movement and I want to help people and I feel that stuckness and then not wanting to move out, that sometimes deflates me and I have to go back to my motivators and things like, I need to get out of this, I can't stay in this. That's their state, not mine. So it's often reminding myself why I'm here and what I'm doing this for. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? I think um, <laughs> I'm going to go super personal here. I had one relationship after what's passed. It lasted for 14 months and I had come to a place where I felt there was no future for us and where I literally said that I had to release him with love. And I did mm-hmm. because I, I didn't instantly stop loving him, but I knew that there was no future for us. And the moment when I realized that it would be way more than a year before we could really be together. Mm-hmm. I knew this was too hard for me to mm-hmm. do this long distance and go back and forth. And I had to stop that. And hearing that it would be more than a year was really hurtful for me because I had seen such a big future for us. And now in hindsight, I realized that that was part of my journey and how important that was the letting go and recreating myself again through something like that which has brought me to a completely new space of vulnerability I'm owning my vulnerability I can't even believe I'm sharing this with you right now but this is all part of it it was so important and I'm just full of gratitude now about what we had it was amazing what is your fear I talked about that last night with my boys driving home and it was 
such a beautiful moment because that conversation happened after a beautiful birthday celebration and I said, you know, I really feel like you guys are old enough to hear this now. I did not want to share that at the beginning. I said my biggest fear, and I said it's actually more than fear, I was petrified, was that something would ever happen to you guys. And we had the most incredible conversation, incredible, because they're now 13 and 11, um, about those two choices, the lesson that dropped toward me before I lifted, you know, that you can choose to live your whole life in fear or just live in joy and live in happiness, let go of that fear, allow yourself to let go of that fear, know that it's there but don't buy into it. And this could still happen. I said, we, we don't know. As we've, we've all lived through it. And that's why the fear is so real because we have experienced it. But I said, if you guys really had to go tomorrow or me, God forbid, then I'd rather have lived that one day in joy and happiness and love rather than in fear. So it was such a profound and beautiful conversation. But that was my biggest fear, that something could happen to the boys. Yeah. Wow. More that, than the normal fear that parents have, you know, right. because we had lived through such a loss. It was just incredible. Yeah. Wow. That is profound. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Oh, for sure. Let me think of an example. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. That I wish that I've done something that I wish I hadn't. Yes. I think just a very basic example is when I yell at my kids, you know, when mm-hmm. I allow myself to go out of bounds and then all of a sudden I hear myself screaming. I'm like, why did I say I do that? It's not, not important. And it's not necessary, you know. Right. That happens. But, yeah. yeah, that's probably one of the most basic examples that I can think of right now, but that's definitely bigger ones. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's the other one. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? I think the answer that I've just given would have been a better match for that one. But (laughs) (laughs) um, I wish I had not done something. Not really, to be honest, because the thing is, in hindsight, when you're open to learning from it, then it was okay that you did it. I think that's the most important part. There's definitely a lot of examples that we all have where like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But in hindsight, well, what did you learn from it? If you can be that open and honest, then I think that's the best way to look at it because you can't undo it anyway. Yes. What is your definition of success? If you can lay in a hammock at the end of the day, not stressing about what else needs to be done or what's next and know that you have enough love, enough money, enough happiness in your life to enjoy it and not keep striving for the next day and keep hassling and yeah oh man that's beautiful okay so i'm really interested for this one how do you recharge oh definitely the beach is the first one mother nature over and over and over again so i need to feel my feet in the sand, I have a little, I call it my enchanted forest, literally 200 meters from here. My dog dragged me through bush someday and all of a sudden I found this oh, hidden yeah. gem and, you know, walking down to a creek. Yeah, just music. Music is a huge one for me. And um, 
the hammock again, laying in the hammock, listening to an audiobook, just enjoying the sun. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, so what are you awesome at? Ooh. Shifting people's perspective, like really seeing the good in everything. People keep saying that to me. You really see the good in everything, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with that? I love it. <laughs> Mm. I really love it. I can really find the good in every situation, in everything. Like even in my husband's passing, I found so many hidden gifts. And, um, yeah, that's a mm. superpower. <laughs> what legacy do you want to leave? My movement to grow far beyond what it is now. I, I always had the aim of growing into 10,000 people, and now I'm like, oh, that's nothing. I want to grow 200,000 and beyond. I just feel the world needs to learn a different way of grieving and I wish that to be my legacy. I I always have this, I want to heal the world from grief. The first mm-hmm. time I said that, I had to laugh because I thought it's way too huge and now I'm like, no, that's my mission. Mm-hmm. That's my legacy I want to leave. Wow. Wow. And you've, you've done this several times, but leave the listener with one motivational takeaway. Mm. I'm going to leave you with one tiny little tool that I want everybody to use. Anybody who's listening to this who's dealing with grief right now and can't find a way out of it, I want you to do this one thing. I'm going to use this as my favourite example because my favourite colour is orange. And you can pick whatever favourite colour you have, but I'm going to use mine for the demonstration. You spend one day of finding as many items as you possibly can with the colour orange. Look around you. Even now, I'm seeing like a folder, a, a holder, a little container, a map, and behind me, the, the picture. There's so much orange in this world. Mm-hmm. And when you focus your your whole attention on one color, you will find a list of at least, I'm kidding you not, 100 things a day. Make yeah. that list. Write it down. And then the next day, you go out there and replace it with the emotion that you miss the most. In my case, that was love. And love is everywhere you can find it everywhere seriously it is just a matter of focus and attention and when you try that and the next day you replace the color with the emotion that you miss the most it's such an easy i would say simple maybe not always easy but it's a simple tool to use and it's really incredible so yeah it's always in your power to do and give yourself what you need wow i'm gonna try that That, that's Mm -hmm. yeah Wow. The color purple. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> It'll be very successful. <laughs> yeah, especially in this room. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Well, Marie, thank you for coming on and sharing your amazing story and telling us about your amazing movement because I've never heard of a, a, a grief movement and actually teaching people how to grieve differently. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that's needed. I think you're on the right track. I think it's something that's definitely needed. Um, and I wish you, Thank you so much. Yes, I wish you much success. I wish you your your two hundred thousand plus. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just be a global movement. You know, I think you. Yeah. I think we need that. I think the world needs that. Um, so I wish Thank you much you success so much. with that. It was my absolute pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. If you like Trina Talk podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, 
If you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.